Now, hopefully, I know where I am here in the book of Acts. We, uh, we're going to continue in the book of Acts today, and we, we pick up the story where uh, Paul is in Macedonia. Um, we're going to look at Acts chapter 17. Uh, Paul is in Macedonia because that's where the Spirit has led him to be. Uh, that's where the Spirit has sent him to share the good news about Jesus Christ, to share the good news that the kingdom of God has come near and is present in the here and now. And he has just come from Philippi, where if you were here last week, you, um, we, we learned that he created a bit of a disturbance in Philippi. And in fact, as we're paying attention, it seems like that wherever Paul goes, he creates a bit of a disturbance, doesn't he? And so at the beginning of chapter 17, uh, Paul and Silas, they have left Philippi and they have arrived in Thessalonica. And as they arrive in Thessalonica, as is their custom, they go into the synagogue. They spend three weeks in the synagogue uh, sharing about Jesus, um, unpacking uh, the Old Testament scripture and showing why it is that the Messiah um, had to suffer and die in essence, showing why um, he has come to understand that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah uh, that the Jewish people in the first century had been waiting for, teaching that the new age has begun, that in fact the kingdom of God is beginning to unfold in the world. And we're told that there are some who come to believe and uh, agree with him that, that Jesus is the Messiah. But we're also told that there are this group of people um, who are opposed to what he is teaching. Uh, there are this group of people who see Paul as doing nothing other than causing disruption and messing with the status quo. Remember, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, in the first century, there was kind of this uneasy tension in the Roman Empire that had, um, that had became, become the status quo. Uh, Jewish people uh, were allowed to worship their one God. Um, Gentiles, all other people, um, they could worship their many gods, but they also had to worship Caesar as God. The Jewish people didn't have to do that. They could worship their one God, and they could pray to their God for Caesar, and that's kind of the uneasy tension uh, that they had lived in. Uh, the Jewish people were distinct because they worshipped one God. Uh, the Gentiles, the rest of the world, uh, generally worshipped many gods. And, and Paul was coming in and disrupting this uneasy status quo, uh, speaking about Jesus and talking about Jesus as the Messiah and disrupting the religious leaders in the synagogue as well as the people on the streets. And in fact, this, this um, uneasy alliance begins to form against Paul just as it did against Jesus. This alliance of the Jewish religious leaders and the, um, the, the political government leaders of the local cities and the crowds. And, and as Paul comes along, these groups um, gather together and they become vocal opposition to Paul and to what he is teaching. In fact, at one point in time, um, Paul is accused, Paul and his, and, and his team are accused of being people who do everything against the decrees of Caesar, 
by naming a different king. By calling Jesus king. Now see, I think it's important for us to get this context because uh, sometimes I don't think that we understand how radical the message of Jesus was for the first century. And I think in not understanding how radical it was for the first century, we don't understand how radical it is for us today. Uh, but in, in essence, Paul was preaching this message that Jesus was the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the one who had come to unite the world together under His rule, and that all people were called to give allegiance to Jesus over and above their allegiance to anything else, over and above their allegiance to the synagogue leaders, to Caesar, to the local leaders, over and above allegiance to any of their other gods and idols. They were called to give their allegiance to this new king. And so we can understand why when Paul goes into these communities and begins to teach this, how it begins to disrupt the status quo. Because it seems as if folks had gotten used to, well, you can have your many gods, we can have our one God, and, and we can just learn to get along. But when Paul comes to town, trouble is stirred up. And that's exactly what happens in Thessalonica. Um, in fact, um, the person who he is staying, staying with is dragged into the streets, beaten and imprisoned. And before they can do the same thing to Paul and his uh, group, they, they send Paul off to Athens. And we're going to pick up the story there as, um, as we begin reading in 17, verse 16. And so I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to, uh, to pick them up. I encourage you throughout this series uh, to bring your Bibles so that um, you can make notes as we go through the book of Acts. But we pick up the story here in Athens in chapter 16. While Paul waited for them in Athens, while he waited for Silas and Timothy to come, he was deeply distressed to find that the city was flooded with idols. He began to interact with the Jews and Gentile God-worshippers in the synagogue. He also addressed who happen, whoever happened to be in the marketplace each day. Certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers engaged him in discussion, too. Some said, what an amateur. What's he trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. They said this because he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him into custody. They brought him to the council on Mars Hill. Where What is this new teaching? Can we learn what you are talking about? You've told us some strange things, and we want to know what they mean. They said this because all Athenians, as well as the foreigners who live in Athens, used to spend their time doing nothing but talking about, uh, talking about or listening to the new things. You get the idea that Luke doesn't have a very high opinion of the, of the folks in Athens. Uh, Paul stood up in the middle of the council on Mars and he said, People of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way. As I was walking through the town and carefully observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar altar with this inscription, 
to the unknown God. What you worship as unknown, I now proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made with human hands, nor is God served by human hands as though he needed something, since he is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else. From one person, God created every human nation to live on the whole earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. God made the nations so they would seek him, perhaps even reach out to him and find him. In fact, God isn't far away from any of us. In God we live, move, and exist. As some of your own poets said, we are his offspring. Therefore, as God's offspring, we have no need to imagine that the divine being is like gold, silver, or stone image made in human skill or thought. God overlooks ignorance of these things in times past, but now directs everyone, everywhere, to change their hearts and lives. This is because God has set a day when he intends to judge the world justly by a man he has appointed. And God has given proof of this uh, to everyone by raising this man, this Jesus, from the dead. When they heard this about the resurrection from the dead, some began to ridicule Paul. However, However, others said, we'll hear from you about this again. At this, Paul left the council. Some people joined him and came to believe, including Dionysius, a member of the council of Mars Hill, and a woman named Demarius, and several others. Hear the word of God and respond this day. Now, I don't know, as I, as I read this passage and I pay attention to what, what's going on, I'm, I'm always amazed at how Paul goes about um, sharing the gospel of Christ. Uh, he, he always seems to um, observe what's going on in the community and engage the community and challenge the community. We see that each and every time. Um, I find it really interesting in this particular passage, he's waiting in Athens, he's waiting for Silas and Timothy to show up, and, and he can't just sit idly by. Um, and so um, he goes out into the community, and what he sees, he goes into the synagogue, and he has discussions with the folks there, and he goes into the marketplace, and he has discussions with people there. Uh, but the thing that distresses him is he looks around, and, and I don't know if you know, but, but Athens was known for having um, statues of just about every god that you could think of, and temples of all these different gods lined the city, and, and were all over the city. And, and I can't help but wonder if, if Paul wasn't just distressed by the fact that, that, just by the fact that there were these idols, but I wonder if he was distressed a little bit by the fact that there was this synagogue there, this group of Jewish people who worshipped one God, and yet it seems as if their presence in the city had made very little difference on how the people in that city lived and thought. I can't help but wonder if part of his distress and, and part of him being troubled had to do with that very fact. 
Uh, but, but regardless of what it is, we, we see that, that Paul goes out, he observes, he sees what's going on in the community, he talks to the people inside the synagogue, inside the church, he talks to the people outside the synagogue, and, and engages them in everyday life. And it says he enters into discussions with the Epicureans and the Stoics. And, and the Epicureans are probably having this conversation. Um, they are uh, the ones who believe that, well, God is, if there is a God, God is far, far away and really has nothing to do with us and has just put us here on this earth to, to enjoy life and to have as many pleasures as we could. And I can imagine Paul engaging the Epicureans and saying, well, I don't think that that's the way it is, actually. I think this God that created us, who is certainly other than us, is also a God who wants to be intimately involved in our lives. And, and it's not just about us having pleasure, but He put us here for a, a, a purpose. A purpose of living in harmony and unity with one another, of, of using His creative uh, um, gifts that He has given us to make the world and the city a better place to live. I, I can imagine him having this discussion with the Epicureans and then with the Stoics. The Stoics were um, kind of these folks who just thought that God was everywhere and, and they were kind of fatalistic in their thinking. In other words, they thought, well, God is everywhere and so whatever happens is what God intended to happen. And I can see Paul engaging them and saying, well, no, not exactly. There are things that happen in the world that God doesn't want to happen because people choose to live um, in opposition or not in connection to Him. And really, Jesus came and He showed us this way of living in union with God in such a way that we indeed create communities and spaces that do look more like God. And so he's engaging these people in the marketplace, and he's talking about Jesus and about his life and his death and his resurrection. And in that engagement, they're like, man, we've got to haul this guy up here to this council um, and, and this is not just a, a friendly philosophical debate that they've invited him to. Um, the story makes it sound as if they, um, they, they, they physically grab him and take him to this place so that they can evaluate, they can evaluate this new teaching that Paul seems to be sharing with the people. And, and I, I love this uh, passage, this message that that, that Paul gives, because he begins by seeking to build a bridge with the people who he's having conversation with, right? He, he, he says, I've been walking about your community, um, and I see all of these things that you worship. I see all these idols that you worship. So, I know what's going on in your society, in your city, uh, but as I was walking around, I also saw this altar to the unknown God. And I can hear Paul, as, he, as he's talked with folks, I can hear him uh, saying, you know, so this, the fact that you have this altar, you have all these statues to all these different gods, and yet you have this altar to an unknown God, you must 
have some sense somewhere in the back of your mind that there is another God, something beyond what you understand, um, that that you just um, haven't got your heads around or your hearts around. And he says, let me tell you about that God. Because that is the one true God. That is the God who has created everything in the heavens and on the earth. In other words, all these other gods that you may be worshiping, if they even exist, they're created by the one true God. There is this one true God who created everything. Created all human beings, intended for all human beings to live in harmony with God and with one another. And the fact that there are different people in different nations that live in other places, if we go back to Genesis, we we find that comes from the Tower of Babel. But, But these distinctions that exist, he says, actually the distinctions existed in hopes that you would seek after God. But God's intention all along was to have one people of God made up of diverse people from throughout the world, uniting all people on earth. Now this has got to be blowing their minds away. Um, He's talking about this one God who wants people from all different kinds of backgrounds uh, to have their allegiance to this God and wants them to live in harmony with each other. So in essence, while, while Paul builds this bridge and he engages the community, he never says, well, then, you know, everything goes. Even though Paul has been going around um, crossing boundaries that people question whether they should be crossed. Boundaries, same boundaries that Jesus crossed. The boundaries between Jew and Gentile. The boundaries between uh, genders. uh, The boundaries between rich and poor and slave and free. He's crossed all those boundaries and began to erase those boundaries. He's emphasizing, but not everything goes. Those boundaries are being erased so that everyone, everyone can come to know Jesus. They can come to know this one God. When he talks about this time of ignorance being over, what in essence he is saying is, is before I get it, um, I didn't truly understand God. I thought I knew God until I encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. I get that we had this time, of, but the time of ignorance is over because God has come in the person of Jesus to reveal who God is, to reveal what God is like, and not only that, to reveal how human beings are intended to live in connection with God. Not just to wait till we die and get to heaven, but to live eternal life now in the presence of God so that all of our lives reflect the goodness of God. He called, He came to gather communities together 
which would be communities that reflected what it looked like to live and to love like Jesus. So Paul not only seeks to build this bridge, but he also seeks to challenge and critique the community. In essence, he is saying to the community, um, following Jesus is not just about adding Jesus on to what, what you're already doing. It's not just about being a good person who adds Jesus into our lives. Do we hear that today? I, I think being raised in a Western society which is shaped so much by Christianity... Um, and being raised in the church, sometimes we think that Jesus is just something we add on top of who we already are. Paul is saying to the first century, and he's saying to us, no. You're being called to drastically change your allegiance. We're being called uh, to, to, to follow Jesus. To know God, not just uh, with our words, but in all that we do and all that we are. Do we, do we get that today, I wonder? We are being called to a radically different life. We are being called to a life where we are drawn together as the people of God across boundaries across national boundaries, across political boundaries, across racial boundaries, across gender boundaries. We are being called to live in union with God and to follow the ways of Jesus. We are being called to be a people who don't just talk about God, and wait until we die. But we are being called to be a people who truly live and love like Jesus. Everywhere Paul goes, he crosses boundaries that people say shouldn't be crossed. He begins to erase the boundaries that we begin to draw of who's in and who's out. And in the midst of doing that, he keeps pointing to Jesus. He keeps pointing to Jesus. And he says, I don't care what group you are in. My question is, is are you following Jesus? Do you know this one true God? And are you willing to follow, to trust not just to say in my head, I believe what Jesus says is true. 
Love your enemies as yourself. But the heck if I'm going to live it out. What kind of trust is that? Are we going to truly follow Jesus? Are we walking in the direction of Jesus or are we walking away from Jesus? That's all Paul cares about. That's the challenge he has uh, to the people who he attempts to build a bridge with. And we are told in Athens that everybody converted. No? Did I read that wrong? Oh, I read it right, but I'm remembering it wrong? (laughs) Two people and some others. I'd be fired, man. It, 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 it didn't at least have any immediate impact, did it? I worry in our world today if that's what's going on. Not just outside the walls of the building of this church or other churches, but inside them. I wonder if we become so comfortable, so happy with the status quo, We've reached this tension on how to halfway follow Jesus and halfway follow our money, our position, whatever else it is that we worship as idols. I wonder if we become so comfortable with the status quo that it's hard for us to hear the message of Paul also. I wonder if we just walk out of here and just go about business as usual? Or I wonder if we take the time to ask ourselves, what does it truly look like to follow Jesus? It calls us to radical lives of discipleship is what it calls us to. It calls us to cross boundaries that other people say shouldn't be crossed. It calls us to be in community with diverse people, not just within our town or our state or our country. It calls us to use uh, the statement of faith from the Korean United Methodist Church boldly as we proclaim that they are our sisters and brothers. And in fact, we should consider them to be closer kin than people who don't follow Jesus and are our next door neighbors or even our relatives. Whoa, I don't know about this. Hear Paul's message this day. We are called to make a decisive break with a way of life that doesn't live aligned with Jesus. We are called to live life aligned with Jesus and His teaching. And that means we can't go out and proclaim that we're for this 
thing that is godly and do it in ways that are hateful and mean and spiteful. It means that we also accomplish them in the way that Jesus did. Being willing to suffer, but yet faithfully follow God. Let us hear this message today. Let us be bold to engage our community. Not to be a part of this clique or this clique, but to be a people who seek to follow Jesus in all that we do. Amen.